0: Lord, that's so ministered to me. I pray it did for my friends gathered here. I I pray, Lord, that it is ministering to those among us here who who are losing hope, who are struggling. I pray, Lord, that it will just continue as we turn to your word. And Lord, that you would speak into our lives, Lord. It's so especially difficult to hear a word of encouragement and even a word of hope when, when we're in the middle of the fight. It can come across as, as even callous words of comfort. So Lord, would you please speak directly into that person who's sitting here who needs to hear this word, who needed to hear that beautiful word of hope, could hear it again throughout this morning's message. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Please open your Bible to Romans chapter 8, found on page 944 in your pew Bible, and I encourage you to look there and and to keep your Bible open as we'll refer to it throughout the message so you can can get the most out of it. Encourage you to bring your Bible with you if you'd like to take notes and and underline. That's always a, a good thing. Romans chapter 8 verses 18 to 25 Listen now to God's word For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we had a prime location last Saturday at Oktoberfest, right next to the luxury outlet mall tent, and directly across from the beer garden. So we, we had some serious traffic come our way. And we talked to lots of neighbors, and we gave away stacks of Bibles and MPC brochures, and we invited them all to come to church. And then we had a drawing. If you filled out a simple survey that would take about a minute, you could uh, possibly win a $50 gift certificate to Wegmans or a $35 gift certificate to Outback Steakhouse or gift cards to Starbucks. And those were very, very popular And so we had quite a response. Simply fill out your name and contact information on one side. On the other side, here were three questions for the survey. Question number one, what is the greatest need facing our community? And then second question was, do you attend church, yes or no? And finally, we asked, how could we pray for you? Of the hundred or so cards that we Re- received back, and we're going to, to be praying over those cards over the next number of weeks and following up with people. There were some common themes under that first question the greatest needs. Uh, the top concern that was listed was peace, the need for peace, and unity. Another very popular response was concern for the poor. That's the greatest need in our community the poor. And the disadvantage among us. And then there was a category around this is interesting to me uh, early child development and education in preschool. There was a sort of a category of, of concern. We talked to people who are on furlough, people that are underwater on their houses, people barely making ends meet, people on long term disability. I spoke with veterans. I talk to parents with special needs children. There is so much struggle and hardship in our community. Now without the distractions of a day off, or perhaps a beer garden, think too much about the struggle, the the drudgery of life, you can wind up having an existential crisis. A crisis is, what, what is life all about? I sleep a third of my life away. I get up. I sit in traffic. I work all day. I pay taxes to a shut down government. I go to bed and I do it all over again. You can feel like Sisyphus from Greek mythology. Sisyphus was sentenced to roll a boulder up a hill using all of his effort, knowing what would happen, he pushed that rock up to the top of the hill only to watch it roll all the way back to the bottom. And then he'd have to go back down and with all of his strength and all of his might push that rock back up again, knowing full well the futility, the meaninglessness of all those efforts, all that effort to ask what's the meaning and the value. In this life, there's struggle, hardship, and now we have uncertainty in life. We've been living with a great degree of uncertainty, but now more than ever. Isn't that true? Especially here in the greater DC area. As so many of you and our neighbors have been furloughed people that are contractors, a spouse who works for the government, the the, the husband, Uh, works as a contractor. They're both out of work. They're both deemed uh, non-essential. And so we have great uncertainty. Not only how to make ends meet this month, but what about our retirement? What about plans for our children's college education? What hopes do we have that they will do better than we did? But that's not all. No, no. We also have suffering. Suffering is all around. It's unavoidable. The loss of loved ones, debilitating fatal illness, personal betrayals, financial ruin, and moral failure. Some of us maybe have avoided suffering to this point in our lives, but suffering will touch all of us. It's unavoidable. It will come to us if we live a normal lifespan. No one is immune. Well, this sermon's starting off really positive, don't you think, Choir? We're really, we have no place to go but down from here, right, Gary? There's no, there's no oil in this engine. It's going down. But thank the Lord for Romans chapter eight. In Romans chapter eight, it's in the Bible to give us hope. In the secular worldview. Suffering is never seen as a meaningful part of life, but only an interruption. But Romans chapter 8 says, suffering, hardship, has meaning. We ended last Sunday in verse 17. And in verse 17, Paul says that suffering and glory go together for the Christian. They cannot be separated. They, They work in tandem. And what we discover in today's passage is the big picture. When we think, why is God doing this to me? Why is this happening in my world? In today's passage, we see the bigger picture and how we fit in so that we can understand it better and so, Lord willing, we can endure it with hope. Last week, we talked about who we are in Christ and whose we are in Christ. This week, the real question is, where are we? Where are we? And Romans 8 teaches that there is a purpose to suffering and if faced rightly it can drive us deeper into love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than we can ever imagine. Nothing can drive a person to greater despair than the idea that our labor and our suffering are mere exercises in futility, meaninglessness. You roll a rock up a hill, And it goes right back. But when we understand that suffering and glory are interwoven in the purposes of God, we will be able to show the world what it looks like to experience pain in light of a relationship with the living, exalted Christ. That's where we're going this morning. And if you're sitting here in great pain yourself physically, if you are strapped, you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, these words might come across as just noise. But I pray that the Spirit would, would give you the encouragement and assurance that you need today. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul saying what we suffer now is Nothing. Compared to the glory Christ will give us soon. It's all relative, isn't it? Soon and very soon, He's coming. He's saying Jesus is worth trusting. Now, Paul knew suffering quite well, didn't he? You can read on your own 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 how he was beaten and starved and far worse than that until he was martyred for the faith. He knew suffering. And Paul is concerned that the suffering Christians in Rome who will receive his letter, they may be under so much heat and so much pressure, they might give up trusting Jesus. And so Paul says here in Romans 8, no, no, the suffering that you're going through, that I'm experiencing, cannot compare with the glory that's ahead. But that's not a simple platitude to say, well, hang in there. This hardship is building character. No, no, it, it's, it's more than a Bobby Mc, McFerrin singing, don't worry, be happy. The gospel isn't a country song played backwards, you know, you know played backwards. You get the girl back, you get, you get your dog back, you get the car back, the truck. No, no, we, we read on and we see that our personal perspective and when life is shutting down on us, it becomes very, very narrow. And we're focused just on the problem at hand we see that that perspective needs to be opened up to see what God is doing everywhere. Look at verse 19. For the creation, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for it's the creation, creation was subjected to futility. Listen, listen, the gospel is more than the boilerplate God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It is that, but it's so much more. Our salvation is is so much more, and must be understood in the grandeur and the, the vastness of all that's conveyed in the gospel. It's perfectly fine to think about our faith in personal terms. Jesus saved me. And as we saw last week, those personal terms are so intimate that Jesus says to us, and Paul reminds us, that we can cry out to God as Abba, Daddy, that's how intimate our relationship is. But there's a whole other perspective that that we need to zoom out to. A cosmic viewpoint encompassing all creation that sets the work of God in your life on a far larger stage than you can see. A grand unified theory of everything. And that is this. Ultimately, the plan of God to provide redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ was to bring restoration to the entire world. There was a beginning when all was right. We're now stuck in the middle, but there will be an end, and it's coming soon. And right now, Romans 8 says, all of creation, the physical world, is subjected to Look there, futility. Now that's not just theology. The second law of thermodynamics says that the universe is running down. It says that the universe is subject to futility. It has a a built-in tendency to disorder. It's called entropy. And that wasn't a freak accident. No, it's part of God's decree since the fall. Sin entered the world and ever since, there's this gradual decline. The heavenly uh, worlds and, and stars and planets continue to spin as God ordains them to by, by the laws of nature to the extent that we understand them. But there is futility. There's something breaking down. I've been really interested this past week to read about uh, all the Nobel Prizes that are being awarded and, especially uh, in the fields particularly of physics, chemistry, physiology, and medicine. I'm trying to read as much as I can and and try to understand them. And it's incredible what noble people are doing, men and women, trying to understand our world and trying to fix that which is broken. Now, perhaps this message is, is no consolation. You're saying, great, Pete. My world is falling apart, and now you're telling me the whole universe is falling apart. Gee, that's swell. That's, thanks so much for that. But wait, there's more. See, all these things that, that, that happen had a beginning, and it's wrapped up in the relationship between humanity and God. And the Bible teaches a Christian to have a worldview to understand that there's a point to all of it. We read on and it says that God subjected creation to the impact of the first sin of Adam in hope. Do you see those words at the end of verse 20? In hope that the creation would be set free. So if you have your own Bible, that's one to underline. He did this in hope. It calls to mind that curse that I'll read to you from Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, to see the grand scope of the fall. God said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat You shall eat." The plants of the field, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, there's no mention here of the second law of thermodynamics, and I did not study physics, so I have no idea what I'm talking about. But according to the scriptures, there was a time before thorns and thistles and toiling. And pain. It all came as a result of sin. And the good news is the Savior is coming to set it all right, that one day all of it will be put right and we'll get everything back that's good. Remember what Jesus said in response to the religious leaders who were scolding the crowds for shouting Hosanna in the highest. Do you remember what he says? He says to them as he's coming to Jerusalem and they're saying, Stop that, knock that off. He says, if the people remain quiet, the rocks and stones themselves will cry out. All of creation is in on this. You can silence a person, you cannot silence the earth, the rocks and stones. And the message again Jesus is worth trusting. Period. He has the final word on your suffering. So we paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Thank you, Joni Mitchell. We've poked a hole in the ozone layer. We've polluted our oceans. Now I've just read that there's an oil spill in North Dakota that they're covering up. We have been terrible stewards of God's creation, but a day of liberation is coming. And creation here in the text is personified to to emphasize the wonder of this future glory that God is going to be revealing to his children. Creation will be transformed as we are transformed and instantly everything will be far more beautiful and productive than ever imaginable. Imagine on that day what the Chesapeake Bay will be like imagine the crabs? Can you imagine just walking out and just grabbing some oysters out of that crystal clear water? What will the new heavens and new earth look like? Scripture says that everything will be remade and we'll be living in the city of God, but will there still be seasons? I love the rain. I love the leaves falling. Will we have seasons? Will the continents continue to move and shift or are they going to stay put Will stink bugs still stink? I don't know, but it's, it's going to be beautiful. Thorn and thistle free. That's worth holding out for. And then we come to verses 22 and 23. And this image of creation groaning like the pains of childbirth. And we too groan. Well, what does that mean? Well, first it means that right now the children of God do not look glorious. We look pretty much like everyone else. We get hungry and tired and sick, we grow old, we die, but there's a purpose. As Jerry Bridges writes, he says, We are not victims, but stewards of our suffering to bring glory to God. God has set a timetable and has appropriated all that is necessary And that clock is ticking, and that day is coming when he will make all things new again. Therefore, we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4.16. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. I'm helped by that. Are you? Paul's not talking about pie in the sky, shouting for joy. He says, cry out to Abba, Father. Like a child who falls and and skins his knee and his father sweeps him up and says, it's going to be all right. You're going to be okay. That's the safest place to be. Christians all know how to cry better than anybody. Sure, we grieve with hope, but we still grieve. It it grieves us to see people suffer. Suffer to see people dying. We're not to put on a happy face and and dismiss whatever mental or emotional or psychological or physical pain we're experiencing. No, we we live it. We share it with our, our, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We say, help me through this. But Romans 8 gives us categories to understanding the big picture of what God is doing. Finally, verses 24 and 25, speaking about hope, and hope that's not seen is, is, is true hope instead of a hope that you can see and be certain of it. There's a degree of faith, and he writes, but if we hope for what is not seen, we wait for it with patience. Well, you see, that's why we need to set our experiences in this brief temporal life in light of the vastness of God's purposes in eternity. This life is so short. Life is too short to be bitter, to be angry, to shake a fist at heaven when you're going to be invited there to spend all eternity. If you're struggling today or somebody close to you is, may this word be a comfort to you. God has not abandoned you. I want you to look out your window if your home or your car and see what's happening in the world, and ask the Spirit of God to enable you to see the bigger picture. And then to engage your world, to seek out those people in your life that are hurting, and to share the good news of the gospel. And it's made known to us in the Scriptures that all the pleasures, all the beauty that there is in this life, has a greater purpose. I'll end with this quote from C.S. Lewis who writes, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world. Resurrection is not just consolation, it's restoration. You will get everything back, all of your love and loved ones, all that life has taken from you, will be returned. This is our hope, the anchor for our soul. Let's pray. Lord, please give us this hope that we can stand on in this congregation so when the wind comes in hardship and pain and suffering and indeed decay and loss, that we would not lose our footing. Strengthen us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. together in Christ alone.